This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 52 of the In-Between Podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Today, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be interviewing John and Julie Manning. Mm. So Julie Manning has written a book called My Heart, Every Beat Surrendered to Our Unchanging God. Notice the whole like, ba-dum, 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 because of our heart. So we'll hear more in the interview of what that has to do with them. But she actually, while she was giving birth to her second child, realized that there was something definitely wrong with her heart. So through this discovery, John and Julie have really had to learn to love each other in the midst of news that she may not be able to live another day. That's the reality that they have had to come to terms with. And so you can choose to live in fear or you can choose to live in freedom. Yeah. And it's a story about how they are continuing to live in freedom, even though they're not really sure what is going to happen to her day by day. So we hope you enjoy the interview. Just remember, you can go to inbetween.org slash episode 52 to grab the show notes. But if you haven't yet downloaded our free ebook on the Enneagram and gift giving, it's all that we talked about on episode Mm -hmm. 51. You're going to want to do that. It's a beautiful little ebook that will give you a great overview of the Enneagram and what to do with it. So you can just go to inbetween.org slash episode 51 and you'll find a link to get that there. Now let's listen to the interview. On today's episode, we're talking about ways to love your spouse when life is hard. And there are lots of different incidences that can fall into this hard category, like a job loss, financial strain, and, and then the like. So uh, for um, for you guys, your story really revolves around Julie's unexpected health issues. So Julie, can you give our listeners a background of what you all have been going through in the last couple of years and how your diagnosis was discovered? Sure. So we have three boys. Our oldest one is now 11 and our middle son is nine. And then our youngest one is four. But I went in for... Um, a repeat cesarean section to give birth to our second son, Hunter. And during his birth, I went to a bad heart rhythm, a heart rhythm that we would normally need to start CPR for. And when I use we there, I'm, I have been a nurse um, for gosh, 14, 15 years now Mm -hmm. and have worked in uh, the pediatric ICU. And so I have um, a little bit of (laughs) background when it comes to looking at heart monitors and things like that. And so when I look over and I see this heart rhythm, I'm like, oh, gosh, they're going to start CPR on me. (gasps) Um, and, And so thankfully that day, my heart spontaneously returned to a normal. Wow. Rhythm. Okay. Um, but that situation there and that circumstances prompted some further testing and some follow-up appointments with doctors and things like that. 
um, in the ensuing, you know, four, six, eight weeks later after Hunter was born, when he was about six weeks of age, um, we went in for just a follow-up appointment with a cardiologist and learned that day that I was in heart failure. And so my, my heart wasn't beating well, but it also wasn't squeezing well. So here I am, John alluded to the fact that he's the middle linebacker and I'm a marathon runner. And Mm -hmm. so me being, you know, running endurance events and things like that, I had just graduated graduate school and was going to become a nurse practitioner in an office in town. And so the cardiologist had reviewed my ultrasound of my heart Mm -hmm. with several other cardiologists in her practice. And with all of them reviewing the images, they, they all agreed that my heart was failing and that I needed to start medication to help support my heart squeezing better. Um, So was there no other indication before? Because Julie, um, you were saying that you're very athletic and growing up doing different things. Did you ever feel like something was different that was going on with your heart? No, I would have never guessed that my life would end up with a heart problem because I exercised, I ate right, right. you know, I didn't eat fast food all the time, you know, just kind of took care of my body. And so it was a surprise to me. You know, what's kind of fortuitous about it is that I had already been working in pediatric cardiology for years Mm -hmm. and how really I had a love of the heart, love of cardiology. And then here I am becoming my own heart patient. Right. And and so a lot of the processing I was kind of in denial for, um, especially when I went in for what we thought was going to be just a routine heart procedure to help, you know, regulate my heart rhythm a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I woke up from that with burn marks on my chest and they had to shock me twice to bring me back. And so when I woke up with the burn marks on my chest, it was like, oh no, this is really happening to me. This isn't some patient that I've cared for, you know, Um, or some name on a chart that you've been some name on a chart. Exactly. Because I had been in that room, you know, I've done CPR on children before I've Mm -hmm. yelled clear in the room right before we shock a patient and see their body being lifted off the table. And for me now, those images have my face on the patient, you know? And so for me, that was like, oh, I know the gravity of this. I know what those doctors were whispering underneath their breath when that first shock didn't bring me back. And so that was like my first two, two and a half months after Hunter was born is really when we got all of the like heavy, heavy dark news from things. Oh, I can't even imagine, you know, (laughs) trying to recover from having like a baby and also welcoming another baby into uh, your world and trying to figure out all that. That's a lot in itself. And then also having to um, sort of understand and accept that you have a heart condition that you know, I guess, a lot about, right? So, because I think a lot of people, you know, if they're diagnosed with something, they don't know, they turn to Dr. Google, 
And then, you know, you kind of go down that path, except you have the medical background to be able to look, like you're saying, at your own chart and, and figure out kind of what that means for your own life as well. So as you're going through this, Julie, John, what was going through your mind um, hearing about all of this? Because uh, do you have a medical background as well, John, or are you involved in something else? At AM, I was I was pre-med and Julie was uh, a finance major. And okay. now I, I am in the world of finance oh. <laughs> and the stock market <laughs> and Julie is a nurse <laughs> practitioner. So That's okay. I mean, you hear the phrase ignorance is bliss. Right. Um, I didn't turn to Dr. Google. I, I think through it all, I didn't allow myself to quote unquote kind of go there. Yeah. Like I think God in in his kindness, he didn't let me become anxious and fearful of what this could mean. Mm-hmm. And so not knowing the severity of the issue, like wanting to be informed and better understand like what what does this mean for Julie's heart and for the medicine she's taking and mm-hmm. how this impacts her going forward and what the risks are. But not allowing myself to go further than that and, and to get into all of the what ifs, it kept me from being overly emotional, depressed, scared. His wife was feeling all of those things. Yeah. So <laughs> it was good for just only one of us to go through that. Right. It, Someone it, bringing weird, the balance in. It's a weird thing. You know, Julie writes about that in her book. But in some ways, like I, because I didn't go up and down emotionally with what was going on, it's, mm-hmm. I'm an emotional person in terms of tears and, 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 and being able to be soft hearted at times. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't have an anxiety and a fear. And so there was just like a steadfastness okay. and like a steadiness that God gave me that I think was helpful for Julie. And so in other ways, I kind of grieve the fact that when she was really wrestling with some depression and some fear that I wasn't able to kind of sit in that with her. Like I didn't even know necessarily that she was really struggling with those things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, trying to be present and steady um, and un- I would say un- uh, unemotional is the wrong word, but just steadfast um, and kind of be a, a rock uh, in a lot of ways. He designed that season for us in such a way to where I could encourage her by being steady. Yeah. So, so in addition to being steady, uh, what are, what are some other ways that you guys were able to practically support one another during this season? Well, as I mentioned earlier, John's the talker mm-hmm. and, um, in this particular season of darkness for myself, John, he didn't stop talking. He just talked less and he started listening. Okay. And that was helpful because for me, I'm such an internal processor mm-hmm. that going through this forced me to process externally. Once I became okay with confessing where I was emotionally mm-hmm. to John. And so it took me, I'm, I'm a smiley kind of girl and I'm normally, I always ask people, I'm like, how are you today? On a scale of one to 10, where are you? Are you like 10 happy joy, joy, or one like, oh, I just want to go back to bed and wait for tomorrow. And I've always been one of those seven, eight kind of girls. Like I've always been, didn't have to force a smile on my face. And in this season, I was like a two or three where like I wept in the shower 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't really weep out of the shower, but it was safe in the four walls of my shower to just right, weep ugly cries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd try to put, you know, I'd put my baseball cap on to hide my puffy eyeballs and then try to force a smile on my face. And that only goes so far until your best friend realizes you're not right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for me, just saying the words out loud to John that like, I'm scared that when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I'm not going to wake up mm-hmm. or I'm scared that I'm going to push my boys in the stroller and I'm going to pass out and they're not going to know what to do. Oh, wow. Um, I'm nervous that like when I kiss you goodbye in the morning and you go off to work, I don't know if I'm going to be alive when you get home. Mm-hmm. And those were the kind of thoughts when you're told that you're at risk for dying suddenly and they yeah. put a defibrillator inside your chest Like that's, those are the thoughts that I was living in and spiraling, you know, round and round and round again in my head. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I just couldn't get off that traffic circle. I I was just circling round and round and round with in those what ifs. Um, So, so John, being the talker uh, and, and seeing Julie walk through all this, what prompted you to slow down and, and do more listening? Like what, what triggered it for you? Was there, yeah, what, what was that like? Well, especially as you know, like, I guess guys are known or even prone to be sort of the fixers. Yes, completely. <laughs> so to listen sometimes and not like try to fix things, I think that can be really hard for guys, especially. So yeah, John, how did you, how did you go about that? Well, sometimes husbands, men in general can try and fix and can Mm -hmm. kind of create more problems or try and fix the problems. Listening, being present, being steadfast, giving her space. You know, there's a lot of things that little things in ways to serve her, whether that's, I'll just say I changed a lot more diapers with Hunter than Noah, more, more late night bottle feedings, more things that I was doing practically to serve her, to give her space to rest you know, not allowing her to isolate herself. You know, we, we've got great friends and a great church we're a part of and inviting others in to come alongside us was a big thing. But when, when Julie and I got married, we kind of joked about different ways, like ministries and things that we could get in, involved with. And we really liked doing premarital counseling. We, we enjoyed going through that process of, of somebody counseling us as we are engaged. And I mentioned that to Julie and she's like, well, you know, counselors listen. You like to talk, you could teach, but counselors <laughs> listen. So, so she had planted a seed and, and she wasn't saying that in a negative way. She was right. just saying that you're That's more prone, you yeah, prone to kind of speak and teach and, and lead. Um, and so I don't know if it was just sensing what does my wife need right now yeah. for me? Is mm-hmm. it just being present? Is it serving her in these little ways? You know, when she had had her surgery, the C-section, you already have some period of time where you know, you can't lift something over 10 pounds and mm-hmm. which included Hunter. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then, and then after her, uh, getting her ICD implanted. So she had several things that happened over a period of months where just being able to, to serve her and be present and understand what, what her needs were and me, meeting those needs, as opposed to trying to think how, what would I do to fix this? Or what would I do to try and solve this, this problem? Because I couldn't, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't fix her heart. And that was the thing that being in that place of true dependency, but yet in that, just trusting that God is good, that he is wise, that 
this is part of his plan for her life and for our marriage and our family. And there's nothing that in some ways that we can do to change what he has laid out for us. We're mm-hmm. just called to walk in humble obedience and love one another through it. You know, we, we have not in the last 12 years, specifically the last, you know, nine since Hunter was born and since Julie was diagnosed, mm-hmm. we just haven't fought over silly, inconsequential things. Like we don't mm-hmm. get upset with one another. I mean, maybe Julie gets upset, but she's patient with it about whether the toilet seat was left up or not. That It's just the little things, the petty things that sometimes um, couples can get at with one another. We've just, we've always had a sense of what's most important mm-hmm. and been on each other's team um, and that. not allow different things that happen either in the marriage or the context of life to, right. to pile on. But we just had a disposition of grace towards one another you know, overlooking an offense, assuming that if something got said, um, that it wasn't meant to, to hurt one another or mm-hmm. to harm one another, but instead, um, thinking the best of one another and really looking to, to serve and encourage one another as we're walking through something. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Difficult. Yeah, I love how the situation has changed your perspective in your marriage and how you communicate with one another and even that you sort of like assume the best, right? And you're not assuming that they're against you, that you know that you're for each other. So I love that in your marriage. Do you think that has translated in the way that y'all parent as well? I do. I mean, our kids know that we're for them. That we don't correct or punish out of our own selfish anger as parents, but we look at them and if, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't get angry at them or upset with them. It's just that we take a deep breath. Sometimes mommy needs to go outside for five minutes before I discipline, you know, so that I'm disciplining out of the, out of, out of love versus like, ah, you're driving me bananas, you know, (laughs) and, um, because with three boys, they drive me bananas, but for certain, like we're more concerned about their character and their integrity and growing them up to be, I say this all the time. I don't, we're not growing you up to be big boys or growing up to be men. And we're going to start doing manly, manly things now, even when you're four years old, like we're concerned about the heart and the soul and the mind and all of that. Um, when we parent these crazy children and we don't do it perfectly, but <laughs> we take a deep breath sometimes. And they're like, Oh, I, you know, I apologize so much to them. I'm like, oh, oh, I yes. acted too quickly. Yep. I'm so sorry. Mommy. Yeah. You're wrong. speaking our language. Definitely. <laughs> we definitely have to apologize very, very often to our, to our kids. So John and Julie, uh, some of our listeners are going through a difficult season right now. What advice would you give them in this moment? Well, I think there's two different types of difficulty. Um, one is something external that's happening mm-hmm. to you. So as a married couple, um, so that's, that's how I would describe most everything that we've walked through. Um, 
in our 12 years of marriage. It's been the biggest challenge has been Julie's heart health. We've had other uh, financial issues in terms of businesses and bad investments. And so we, we've had different challenges, but they've always been external where we've been on the same team, working together, fighting for one another in prayer, um, right. encouraging one another. And then there's seasons when there's conflict in your life, but it's internal. It's between you and your spouse. I think the answer to both of those situations uh, for us has been to truly trust God in his word and to really see love as something that is a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's not an emotion. It's a sacrifice. And so loving one another, whether we're con- in conflict with one another or or trying to endure suffering is just this posture of humility and understanding of what first Jesus did for us and it, and putting it into perspective, like what we're walking through right now pales in comparison to what's been promised to us, um, the reward that's been promised to us um, for those that have faith in, in Christ. And so we have been able to endure suffering. Our church just recently preached through the book of First Peter. Julie has memorized a lot of scripture that is speaks directly to and gives us promises for what it's going to mean when suffering comes in our life and how we are to endure it. Yeah, I love how you're talking about the fact that we need to endure, that suffering will come our way no matter whether it's with small or big, like no matter what, we all experience something in our lives that is difficult. Um, But the fact that we are called to endure through it and called to continue to persevere. So I know that there's some listeners out there who they feel like it's just one, like one thing after another. It's just sort of this maybe look back on, you know, the 2018 year and they say, Julie and John, I have gone through bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. And here you're call- you're telling me to endure. Like, what does that mean? Like, yes, you're talking about practicing scripture and um, quoting it even to yourself and memorizing. I love that idea. Do you have any other maybe practical tips for our listeners who are just going through one hard thing after another? Like, what can they do to endure and help um, even their spouse endure as well? Well, I don't believe that we're supposed to endure and persevere by ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think we're supposed to surround ourselves with friends and family and community to encourage one another. And so for a girl, speaking of myself, who doesn't ask for help Mm -hmm. very well, I'm very independent and achiever-like. Sometimes the biggest thing you can do is say, yes, please bring me a meal. Yes, I would love it if you could pick my kids up from school for me today, you know, and allow other people to come in and serve you and help carry the load and the burden with you, because that is what friends and family and community are for. We're not supposed to carry the heaviness of things alone. It will destroy us if we do that. And so for me, that was a huge lesson that I had to learn when I felt like I was getting just one bad news after the next is I had to say, yes, I would love for you to come help me. Um, Mm -hmm. I would love for you to just sit and listen or whatever that was. And 
I will also say as the friend, as we watch other people go through things, is that we need to be good friends for one another. Yes, definitely. And I had a sweet friend, Jen Lewis Klaus. She passed away about two years ago of breast cancer. And she used to always say to people, she goes, serve your friends with what you do well. Not Mm. everybody needs to make a casserole. And so (laughs) that brings me a lot of freedom for a girl that's insecure on like what I cook and serve my children and husband for dinner Mm -hmm. is that I am happy for you to set your dirty clothes out on the front porch and I will come pick up your dirty laundry and I will Mm -hmm. bring it back and set it clean and folded on your porch and I never have to see you. But like I would much rather do a load of laundry than bring somebody a casserole because I would probably cause food poisoning or something. So um, John's laughing because he knows it's true. He's eating a lot of burnt food. Um, and so for me, encouraging the people listening here who may not be going through the hard thing right now, but know someone close to them who is, is love them and do something that you're gifted at or good at to serve them too. You don't have to do everything. Right. I love that. That's so freeing. Um, We've just had a friend who um, has gone through a really difficult time and um, I love to cook. So I I made meals for her and my friend was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I I, want to make a meal, but I can't. And so she just offered to take their kids so that her and her husband could have a date night and she loves kids and she loves serving them in that way and they were so thankful they're thankful um for everything that people have been doing to help and so i love julie how you're saying that um that your friend was saying that like serve out of what you do well like you're saying that is so freeing that is just inviting people into your lives to to help now in terms of inviting people in. I know sometimes that people don't know what to do. And so they just sort of say those pat answers or, you know, say like, I'm here for you, but really, maybe they're not really. Like, is there something that you would recommend people like, please, if someone is going through a hard time, don't do this. Yeah. Yeah, what should they not say? <laughs> yeah. what are, and what are good do? things to say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think it takes courage just to say that, that you need help or that you're mm-hmm. struggling through something. You know, we talked earlier about not trying necessarily to fix things. I think it's important to anticipate what the needs might be and try and serve those needs mm-hmm. and not not put it all on yourself to try to meet those needs, but invite others to come alongside. I, I think that all too common just in America in general, that we have a tendency to be uh, real individualistic. So yep, we'll say something, but not actually follow through on it. It's better not to say you're going to do something and not do it than than just to be okay saying, I don't know, I don't know how to respond. How can I best serve you or what can I do Mm. versus saying, um, you know, something that, Hey, we should get together or we should connect, or maybe I could do this and then not being able to fall through on it. So I, uh, I was, as Julie was talking, I was thinking, um, about some things that I would share as it relates to perspective for, Mm -hmm. for somebody who's going through something hard that, Comparison is like the thief of joy. Yes, and so definitely. oftentimes like having understanding and, and, and trying to simplify life and focus on what's most important, kind of major on the majors and mm-hmm. not allow other distractions and things to, to consume you or to, to, to create anxiety for you or overwhelm you because you're, you're, you have certain expectations for yourself or you're comparing yourself to the people around you. And those 
your life's not quite measuring up to what you wanted it to be or what you thought it would be. And so disappointment often comes from missed expectations and, and, and kind of resetting those based on your new normal whether it's heart failure, whether it's a financial loss, like mm-hmm. understanding that we have to make some different decisions going forward and just being okay with that, not focusing as much on what you've lost, but on what you've been given. Hmm. That's such a good point. Yes, it is. Well, thank you, John and Julie, so much for joining us and for um, just speaking truth and just practical ways to be able to serve your spouse well during a difficult time, but also how to invite community around y'all to support. And then for listeners who, you know, are maybe not going through a difficult time right now of just being able to grab ideas of how to be there and to serve your friends well. So thank you guys. Wasn't that crazy just to think of like everything that they have been through, but they are continuing to learn to love and serve one another, Mm. not at a place of fear, not out of a place of guilt, but at a place where they are truly learning to love each other day in and day out. Yeah, it was so encouraging. And maybe there's someone that came to mind when you heard that episode. We'd be honored if you'd share the episode with them. It's super easy. Just on any podcasting app, hit the share episode button and grab the link or just share inbetween.org slash episode 52. Text it, email it, share it with a friend because we hope that just as this episode encouraged you, that it would be able to encourage them as well. So next week, Christina, on episode 53, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about how to discover your child's love language. Oh, this is, I mean, for us to know each other's love languages has been been revolutionary, right? For our marriage. And up until this point, we've kind of thought about it, talked about it regarding our kids here and there, but it wasn't until we really dug deep that we pretty much slapped ourselves on the forehead and we were (laughs) like, Wow. Good thing this is the year of grace. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because we need grace. And good thing they're not leaving our house tomorrow, yes. oh, right? We still goodness, have yeah. some time to maybe uh, pray grace over our mistakes. Yeah, yeah. so maybe you think yeah. you're like, oh, I know the five love languages. No, you probably don't uh, because this has been, I mean, <laughs> this is, this is going to be really good. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't yet done so. And we'd love to connect with you on social media as well at InBetweenShow. We'll catch you guys next week.